Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. So today we are talking about nipples. Woohoo! All right. Just going to put it out there. Yep. Uh, and the question of why men have them to begin with, because, you know, with all the, we talked, we've talked about breastfeeding before, mm-hmm. bras, uh, it doesn't seem necessary for men to have nipples. Yeah, they seem pretty useless. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they basically, to make a very quick answer mm-hmm. for all of this, to sum it up at the beginning. Yeah. Men have nipples because women have nipples and yeah. vice versa. And that is almost a direct quote from Andrew M. Simons, a biology professor at Carleton University, who's talking to, uh, Scientific American about this question. And yeah, they males have them because females have them and they're not vestigial like you might think too, which we'll explain very shortly. Right. So at the dawn of your conception, um, when we are these little amorphous asexual blobs in the womb, embryos, (laughs) embryos or embryos or embryos. I like to think of it as blobs, uh, <laughs> little sacks of cells. Um, we are actually made up of a bunch of the same stuff. And it's not until a little bit later in the development, as many of you, I'm sure, are aware, that we actually have a sex determined, whether we're male or female. And so basically, we, we get a lot of the same stuff and nipples just never fell off. Right. Um, and it all has to do with the timeline of how our 23 pairs of chromosomes express themselves as the uh, the embryonic blob <laughs> develops into uh, a full full blown fetus. Right. Weird. Full 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 blown. Full blown. <laughs> yes. Um. Well. Yeah. Well. The thing is that nipples aren't a sex linked characteristic. Right. Everybody gets them. Uh, Cecil Adams over at the Straight Dope said that they are sexually neutral. Mm-hmm. And nipples develop around the third week, whereas uh, the bits and pieces pertaining to boys or girls don't develop for another couple of weeks after that. The year of genital systems. Yep. But the thing is, too, uh, in those uh, those early weeks before the, like you said, the seventh week, when that um, the one pair of chromosomes that determines your your biological sex expresses. The, the all the embryos have the exact same parts, and for that reason, women actually will retain remnants of the vas deferens mm-hmm. that we, you know, that started building back in our embryo days. Yes, our blob days. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, we all get twenty three pairs of chromosomes, mm-hmm. as you may have heard. Um, and one pair, just one pair, determines whether we're male or female. And the other 22 supply our standard equipment. Um, that one pair of sex chromosomes programs the rest for maleness or femaleness. Mm-hmm. And before they kick in, we're equipped with both sets of plumbing, basically. Right. right. And um, the, the genes that are not sexually, the autosomes, those mm-hmm. are the ones that will express an into nipples, but right among other things, among, of course, we're not just covered things. in nipples. Most right. of us, and this nipples develop after three or four weeks of conception. And what happens is 
we first developed something called a milk line. I this hadn't heard weird. about this before. I hadn't either. And it's a ridge of tissue that runs from your upper chest to the navel and then veers down toward the groin and stops on the upper thigh. Yeah. And it um it basically is this line of tissue that nipples develop from and mm-hmm. it's more than two, okay? <laughs> it just so happens that as we develop only two, typically, you know, the the pair we normally associate <laughs> as uh, as should be there are the ones that remain. But that's not always the case. No, this sort of made me uh, have to rethink my entire world. I didn't realize that this this existed. I mean, I'd heard of people having extra nipples before, but I thought that's weird. How does that happen? And I didn't realize before I read the stuff about the milk line that that's why. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not uncommon for hints of nipples. Right. <laughs> nipples passed. <laughs> to hang around disguised as a freckle or a mole. Um, they're called supernumerary nipples. Did I, did I pronounce that supernumerary. right? Supernumerary. a lot of syllables. <laughs> um, and yeah, you might just think that you have a really big mole mm-hmm. on your boob area or your chest, your abdomen. abdomen, wherever. It could be, it could be a, a spare nipple. Yeah, cause that's why, um, I, I do know someone with an extra, <laughs> extra um, set. Yeah. With a tiny, I mean, you can barely tell that they're, that they're nipples. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're directly below where, um, you know, his actual nipples are. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, I always thought that it was an extra growth, but no, it just means that they, you know, they had an overly developed milk ridge line. Yeah. Which is why you wouldn't have one, you know, probably hanging out right on top of your belly button there. You know, it'd be more in parallel lines. <laughs> right. But typically mammals, fun fact also mm-hmm. about nipples is that usually mammal, mammalian nipples mm-hmm. come in even numbers. Yeah, yeah, I think so. We have two mm-hmm. arms, two legs, most of us. Although there is one possum, and I forget which which exact type of possum it is that comes with 13 nipples. All in a, in a nice circle. Oh yeah, and there's yeah. one right in the middle. Uh huh. It's gross. Uh, it's like a baker's dozen, <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, anyway, back to people. Um, the American Journal of Primatology, well, okay, well, this is primatology they were talking about monkeys, but, uh, they, they talk about humans too. And in the American Journal of Primatology in 2000, they said, uh, most supernumerary nipples result from a failure to terminate mammary bud development. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not like they're hurting you. Right. It's just that, you know, your body was like, oh, I've got other things to do. And it's linked to what? It's something called the Hox's gene. It's all about gene expression. Right. And, you know, how, how fully it, uh, you know, the genes will express themselves and either stop the, the milk ridge development or keep it going a right. little too long. Perhaps. Yeah. The Hox genes, uh, set up the head to tail organization. And the reason why supernumerary nipples are relevant in this discussion of, Male nipple. I want to say nipplage. Nipplage, sure. Male nipplage. Uh, the reason why it's relevant is because, according to the European Journal of Pediatrics, there is a higher prevalence of supernumerary nipples on the left side of the body and in men. Yeah, so... You should be running to a mirror right now and yeah, looking guys, your shirt up to check you, it out. Those, those freckles, you got freckles on your abdomen. I'm just saying, it could be... Could be an extra set from the uh, the old milk line. Right. Um, now, kind of back to more of why men have nipples in the first place. Um, basically, there's this talk of genetic correlation, mm-hmm. the idea of two traits shared genetic 
basis. Right. Because going back to our conversation about um, the chromosomes, mm-hmm. we have, uh, you know, women develop breasts because of that, you know, that 23rd pair of chromosomes, mm-hmm. the double X that um, is linked to sexually dimorphic traits, which are basically, you know, the, the obvious physical traits, you know, men grow, you know, developing penises, women developing vaginas, things like that, yep, that, multiple. that separate um, uh, males and females, but nipples are not one of those things. It's a genetic correlation. And basically in order for men to, from an evolutionary standpoint, for men to not have nipples, it would have to be um, more beneficial for them reproductive wise. To, to not have them. Right. right. It would have to be doing some damage or hurting them in some way or be more um, evolutionarily uh, advantageous. There we go to not have them. And since basically, essentially it doesn't matter if men have nipples. So, right. but since it's a trait, a genetic trait that men and women share, and it's so important for women, women yeah. to have nipples, then it would almost be too much work for us to, for men to evolve losing nipples. Right. So <laughs> it's more that there is a lack of selection against them. Right. Rather than a specific uh, selection for them. Right. And explaining all of this to Scientific American, um, a mammologist named Douglas Long says it's a lot more difficult to lose an organ than to develop an organ. And he compared it to the reason why we have toenails. Like we don't mm-hmm. necessarily need toenails at all to, to claw and dig. <laughs> Climb up trees. You know, at least we have something to paint. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Who doesn't need red fingernails? For whatever reason. Um, he actually, Douglas Long did say something that I thought was funny when I did more reading. He said, uh, not one male mammal has been shown to lactate. And then everything else I read was like, oh, well, yeah, we've got these bats yeah. and goats and things. Um, uh, Jared Diamond, he's an author and physiologist. He pointed out in a 1995 article for Discover Magazine that the Dayak fruit bat in Southeast Asia can spontaneously lactate. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the only examples of a male mammal that has been seen to, to lactate just under no sort of laboratory um, conditions at all, mm-hmm. because there have been male goats and I believe male cows that have lactated, but that's because they were induced with hormones right. that stimulated lactation. And uh, one one fun nipple fact, stallions, mm-hmm. male horses, they don't have nipples at all. They don't. Neither do platypuses. Yeah. Oh, the platypus <laughs> thing was so gross. Oh, I thought it was kind of cool. Okay. It talks about how they don't have nipples. They just sort of like leech milk. And yeah. The milk of- just comes out of their pores <gasps> and, the, and their little baby platypus pusses uh, lick it up. They, I, I don't like it. Take it away. Um, okay. Well, back to, again, back to people. All right. So Jared Diamond, uh, in his article also discussed actual male human lactation. Um, it's sort of, it can occur when, uh, the pituitary gland gets all upset Mm -hmm. and that can happen when you face starvation. Right. And so he pointed to survivors of Nazi concentration camps and Japanese prisoner of war camps uh, who had been starving, and when they got out, they experienced lactation when they began to recover. Right, and that's because the pituitary gland in the brain stimulates the production 
of a hormone called prolactin. And when we produce prolactin, it triggers alveoli in breast tissue to produce milk. And the reason why those concentration camp prisoners and the, the prisoners of war experienced spontaneous lactation was because when your body recovers from starvation, your glands recover a lot faster than your liver, which absorbs hormones. So basically they had this spike in prolactin and lactation, which can also happen in newborns. Right. Yeah. This is called witch's milk. Mm-hmm. And it's when, you know, the baby is first born. Uh, it still has a lot of its mother's estrogen pumping through it. Mm-hmm. And so it can just spontaneously lactate when it's born. And this can continue for a week or so. Yeah. Because, and that's because uh, when you're pregnant, prolactin levels surge 10 times higher than normal. And that can seep into the placenta and you might give birth to a lactating baby. Yeah, I'm just going to adopt dogs. Um, but it's not just pregnancy or starvation that can cause men to spontaneously lactate. Uh, Diamond theorizes that some combination of manual nipple stimulation and hormone injections may develop a father's latent potential to make milk. And in Scientific American, uh, they touched on this issue in, uh, again in 2007. Uh, and they pointed out that medical anthropologist Dana Raphael and endocrinologist Robert Greenblatt agreed that men could induce lactation by stimulating their nipples. Mm-hmm. So I am never giving another titty twister to anyone. Well, and that's because when, um, you know, when, when a baby latches on to a nipple, it stimulates these mechanoreceptors in the brain that gets the whole pituitary gland prolactin mm-hmm. alveoli process going. But that does not necessarily mean that, you know, if you were, if you were to give um, if you were to give a man a baby <laughs> and the baby were like to latch, Selleck? yes. And the baby were to latch onto that male nipple because that does ha- happen sometimes. Um, you know, babies just, they, they see a nipple and they will latch on if they're mm-hmm. hungry, but that doesn't necessarily mean that all of a sudden, you know, the, the faucets will, will turn on and, and a male will just spontaneously lactate. It definitely takes, right. um, takes a little bit of time. There was one study, uh, this was out of Canada. They were looking at adoptive mothers mm-hmm. um, who had adopted infants and whether or not they could sort of simulate uh, lactation through using breast pumps over time and um, contact with the infant to get their bodies producing the prolactin. And they were able to stimulate it in about, I think it was 33% of the mothers. But it kind of just goes to show that, A, you know, women already have, you and I have, even with though we're not pregnant, have a third more prolactin running through our bodies. Uh, so we already have a head start over men. And even with that, it's still hard to, to just automatically jumpstart lactation. Right. Uh, Dr. Jack Newman, who's a breastfeeding expert, says basically, you know, a hormone spike has to occur uh, in order to produce milk. And that brings us back to the pituitary gland, which mm-hmm. we said secretes prolactin. And he actually, uh, Dr. Newman points out that, hey, it could be a pituitary tumor, which is yeah. why you're, why you're lactating. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff. There's medications like Thorazine, which was a popular antipsychotic in the mid 20th century, which affected the pituitary gland and caused a spike in prolactin production. And certain issues like, uh, testosterone deficiencies, uh, with male hypogonadism can cause a condition called galactorrhea, which is basically spontaneous lactation, like we keep 
um, talking about. And if you're curious as to whether or not the milk that men can produce is similar to the milk that women produce, as a matter of fact, a 1981 study conducted at the University of Western Australia confirms that, yes, it is. Oh, good. It had very similar contents to um, female levels of protein, lactose, and electrolytes in this in this man's milk. It's usually just, it's not so much the content of the milk, but the volume. Even when men do lactate, they're not, you know, they're not filling up baby bottles. A writer from Slate actually did a little experiment. He wrote about his journey into male lactation. He bought a breast pump mm-hmm. manual, not... I don't know, motorized. Yeah, I don't the, know. the electric the ones. electric ones. I don't know. And um, he, you know, he just didn't have any success and he gave up. He, I don't think he liked the idea of having to pump his body full of hormones and take a three hour, you know, three hour breaks. And Right. He was like, I can either take these, these medications that will, you know, m- mess with my pituitary gland and possibly make me kind of crazy <laughs> and lactate. And he tried to take, um, fenugreek, which is this, uh, like an herbal supplement. Mm-hmm. You can get it. Um, any natural food store that's supposed to do a similar thing, like a lot of, um, you know, like maybe like neonatal, uh, herbal supplements will contain fenugreek to help stimulate lactation. And he was taking it like three times a day, <laughs> drinking fenugreek tea and yeah, nothing, nothing happened. And he determined that maybe it was the fact that he didn't have an infant. I mean, right, this was he a wasn't, single guy. Yeah. He didn't have any any little life depending on him mm-hmm. and his lactation. And it was interesting, like um, Charles Darwin, not not too surprisingly, was fascinated by this this uh, this whole male nipple conundrum. And in The Descent of Man, he posited that men used to, evolutionary our evolutionary ancestors, men and women used to uh, suckle our young. Mm-hmm. And it was only once um, our litters <laughs> got smaller to where it could be managed, the breastfeeding could be managed by just one of the caregivers, then men gradually stopped uh, breastfeeding. But we still just have, you know, they, they still just have the, the remnants. Right. Because like I said, it's not, um, male nipples are not vestigial because they do contain um, breast tissue, uh, the blood vessels, nerves, alveoli. They can, you know... Men can lactate. Yes, and they do. And they do. Uh, in Central Africa, the uh, the Aka tribe, mm-hmm. I, I think that's how you pronounce it, um, the Guardian in 2005 reported on American anthropologist Barry Hewlett, who lived with this tribe and studied them. And he discovered that the men nurse their infants when the mothers are, you know, away doing whatever. And part of this is their whole culture is so fascinating mm-hmm. to to us as Westerners because all of their roles are completely fluid. They have no problem trading off cooking, hunting, caring, right. caring for the babies. He even pointed out um, that the men would, you know, strap the babies to their sides and go down to the equivalent, the, the tribal equivalent of the bar <laughs> and hang out with their buddies with the baby. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't weird yeah, because uh, they don't view children as burdens, right. something to, you know, waste resources or whatever, take up resources, I guess I should say. Um, they look at children as a blessing. And so everybody wants to pitch in and take care of mm-hmm. the babies, including the dads who have been known to lactate. Well, it's also interesting because, you know, the women are away from the household because they're seen as just as adequate hunters mm-hmm. and gatherers, you know, in this in this culture as 
than men are. And according to the anthropologist, he said that men are with their infants 47% of the time, uh, which he, by his calculations, was basically the most dedicated fatherhood of any culture on the planet. Yeah. Um, which is kind of fascinating that, that these men would, um, possibly be lactating more than say, uh, fathers in America, which don't spend as much time with their children. So, um, so buck up guys. If you just, <laughs> if, if you spend a little more time with your family, maybe you too could breastfeed. Well, I mean, it's just, it's an, it's an interesting example because Jared Diamond, who wrote that Discover Magazine article mm-hmm. that you were talking about earlier, uh, says that the evolutionary conditions that would favor Male lactation would include um, a litter of infants that constitute a big burden to nourish. So, you know, you would need um, more more hands on deck. Mm-hmm. Monogamous male and female pairs, high confidence of males in their paternity and hormone preparation of fathers for eventual lactation while their mate is still pregnant. So they expect to do that. And it sounds like to some degree, maybe this pygmy group in Central Africa um I don't know, maybe perhaps those those conditions are more ripe in the less gender segregated society. They don't see it as weird. Yeah. If the women can do it, the men can do it and vice versa. Yeah. And because guys have you got the equipment and you might actually have more nipples than we do (laughs) on the left side of your body. I'm so glad I know about milk ridges now. Me too. I, not really, though. I don't really (laughs) I didn't want I didn't really want to know it. What? That's fascinating. (laughs) It is fascinating. Nipple lines. Anyway, with that, Caroline um, is is gonna have to go through a little bit of uh of therapy <laughs> from all of this male lactation research. Um, and of course, now we would like specifically letters from men who pops possibly have lactated. Is there anyone out there? Oh my there? gosh, that would be fa- okay. That would be fascinating to actually yeah. to actually hear from one of you guys. I mean, it's it, like especially fathers out there who have you know dealt with because it seems like this issue is a lot more pertinent for for dads who have wondered like, well, could I you know could I help my mm-hmm. my lady out and with the breastfeeding duties? Well, you maybe, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Let's uh, talk to some the the Aka people in Central Central Africa. Maybe they have some tips. Yeah. And in the meantime, you can email us at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And we got a couple emails to read right now. So I have an email here from Marie in our, in response to our episode on women in science. She says, I'm a third year grad student in microbiology, immunology research, and I'm wondering about the cultural influence on women in the workplace. A huge proportion of research labs, at least in the biomed field, is international. Many of them are women. We have a Japanese female postdoc and a Chinese female research associate, but I haven't exactly counted the proportion. Are there other countries that still discourage women in science? In my own experience, I've never felt at all any discouragement to go into sciences because of being a woman. On the contrary, many of my science teachers were women. I hear all this talk about gender bias, but have never seen it in action. Of course, the biomedical sciences are different from other fields. I've read somewhere that it's engineering and computer sciences that are the most skewed. And yes, she is right. Engineering has the lowest proportion of uh, female students, at least in higher education. So thank you for your input, Marie. And I have an email from Lorian. This is in response to our pregnancy test podcast and my enthusiasm for the self-exam. The pelvic self-exam. Yeah. Um, she said, there is a birth control method called the fertility awareness method, or FAM, which uses basal body temperature, cervical fluid, and the position and openness of your cervix to chart when you're ovulating. 
It's very easy once you learn and takes really only seconds a day to take your temperature, note what your cervical fluid is doing, or to check your cervix. If you're trying to conceive, you can concentrate your efforts, and if you're trying to avoid pregnancy, you can avoid the fertile window. There is a wonderful book called Taking Charge of Your Fertility that talks about it in detail. I didn't do a pelvic self-exam, but because I was charting my cycle, I was able to get my first positive test nine days after ovulation, which was quite early. My midwife was so confident in my dates after seeing my chart, we opted not to do an early dating ultrasound. It's really a neat method and has empowered me and the knowledge of my body. Fertility awareness. I had to, yeah. I had to look more into that. Yeah. Uh, and of course, our email is momstuff at howstuffworks.com and you can find us over on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast and check out our blog during the week. It's stuff mom never told you from howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?